I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to do the scripture reading for us in just a moment. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. If you're new to the Bible, there's usually a table of contents in the front, and it gives you the page number for all the books of the Bible. And 1 John is toward the toward the end. It's one of the last handful of books of the Bible. If we had one of those kind of man-on-the-street interviews and you know, took the microphone around and we asked the simple question, what is the highest virtue? What do you guys think the word on the street would be? Whether you went to Thomas Park, stopped by the Walmart parking lot, Lindale Mall, what is the highest virtue? Want to throw out some thoughts? What do you think you'd hear on the street? Generosity is a wonderful virtue. Morality. Tolerance. Trust, be trustworthy. Loyal. Companionship, is that what I heard? Patience. Love. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, on, I'm of the opinion, I think m- m- most places you're going to go, you're going to hear people say love. Are people going to say love is the highest virtue? Love is a, a beautiful thing. But humans are strange creatures, right? On Monday, we'll sing, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. But by the time we get to Tuesday, we're singing, what's love got to do, got to <laughs> Humans are just strange creatures. You know, a year ago, the way that you showed love is you would put up a sign that said Black Lives Matter, because that was a high virtue. You want to love black lives. And then other people kind of swung, and they wanted to show their virtue, and they put a sign up that said All Lives Matter. But either side was this picture of wanting to show love, right? I want to love people. Um, Now, one of the loving things to do is to have a sign that identifies with lots of people, shows love for lots of people. One of the signs out there reads this way. In this house, we believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. No human is illegal. Love is love and kindness is everything. And the issue is they want, we want to be loving. But it's interesting how little love is going around. Like regardless of how many signs you have in your yard, how hard love is. Even this sign runs into problems if you're following national news, right? For instance, some in favor of women's rights are pushing against transgender men who want to enter a woman's world. Some who strongly support black communities have concerns about immigrants taking away jobs from the black community. Uh, So everyone wants to be loving. And yet there's this confusion about what is love? Who am I supposed to love? And then here's the, I think, the kicker, the actual ability to love. Now, I believe that Christianity walks into this confusion about love and gives clarity, but not just clarity, also the power to actually do it, to actually live lives of love, not just put up signs that appear to look loving. And that's where I believe the Apostle John is taking us in 1 John chapter 4. Can I ask you to stand for the reading of God's word, just to honor his word? Hear now God's holy word. Dear friends, let us love one another, 
For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This ends the reading of Holy Scripture, God's authoritative and enduring word. I testify to its validity. I assure you it is true. You may be seated. This text is giving us clarity on love. So it's going to teach us about what it looks like to love God, what it means to experience God's love, what it means to be changed by God's love and sent out to love. Not just signs, but transformation. And I want us to look at, in some ways, the, I think one of the things I see in this text is this is God's surprising promise that we can love and we ought to love. But he's going to say how this happens or this will happen when three things happen, right? This is, we're actually going to be able to love when we know it, we have a knowledge of God's love. Second, when we have an experience of God's love. And then I think also when we rest in the confidence of God's love. Let's walk through these together. First, we need to know God's love. And if you look at verse 7, just we're going to walk through verses 7 through 12 to start. Right? First off, John's getting back to basis. Back, back to the basics. It says, dear friends, let us love one another. This is already the third time where he has swooped back to the centrality of love in the life of a Christian. If you guys remember what we studied last week, it was in the context of dangerous teachings out there and warnings. But again, back to the basics. Christians, those who claim to walk with Messiah Jesus, love. Love. And why? It goes on in verse 7. Because love comes from God. Right? If you know God, you're going to love. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Right? So verse 7 is saying, why love? love? Love's the family quality. If there was a, you know, an uh, some sort of crest for Christianity, love would be in the center of the crest. This is the centrality of God's family. So if you've been born of God, if you're a child of God, you love. You, we should know this. 
That's what it says in verse 8, because whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We're going to come back a little bit more and talk about God as love in the second section, but just the idea of God is love, this is, the, this is an essential quality of God. Therefore, we should know this. And if you don't know about this, we're, we're in a whole heap of trouble. But what I love about verses 9 and 10 is it cuts through some of the confusion about what love is, and it gives us a very clear demonstration, this is love. Right, what, what is love? Well, this, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I mean, this is a jaw-dropping picture of love. Love is sacrifice. Love is sin-bearing. Love is unselfish. Love addresses evil. Love is not some sort of romantic feeling. It's not a sexual desire. It's not butterflies in the stomach. Love is nail-pierced hands. It's a forehead crushed by a crown of thorns. It's a, a sword pierced in the side. It's one bearing the wrath of the living God to restore and reconcile enemies to God. This is love. We get, it's defining it, it's demonstrating it, it's, it's trying to cut through the cloud of confusion about what is love. This is love. In fact, you can't even have a fathom and understand love until you think about God sending his son to die. That's love. And so any picture of love or any sign about love that you put in there, if it doesn't have to do with some sort of sacrificial, unselfish, for the sake of others, thing it's not the right sign this is love and we have to and again john's saying we got to know this first we have to some understanding of this first it goes on there in verse 11 and 12 it says dear friends since god so loved us we also ought to love one another right so this isn't just a theological exercise he's going to be very practical every time he's going to come back therefore we ought to love therefore we ought to love it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So there's this idea that God is this invisible God. God is spirit. And so we're never going to fully get our eyes on this picture of God. But he's saying, but when we start loving one another, like this previous demonstration of love by the Son, people are going to get an idea what love really is. It's that. It's unselfish. It's sacrificial. It's for the sake of others. It, it confronts evil. That's love. Think about this. You can't play the game, any game, if you don't know the rules. I mean, if someone, seriously, if, if you do nothing about the game of golf, nothing, never seen it before, never, and you show up and someone hands you 14 little pieces of metal with heads on them, balls and these little wood things and they told you go play golf it would be humorous if you had no idea what you were doing what's this five what's this right i was thinking about the game, game so i play this game called cribbage any cribbage players out there this is another game if someone handed you a, a board with 121 pegs on each side and they've got these little little things in the back here you, you can't even if you even play cribbage you can't even find these little pegs but they're hiding if i were to hand this to you and a deck of cards and said hey go play some cribbage you would just think it was 
the silliest looking game in the world. Right? So John is talking about, you just got to know the rules of the game. The rules of the game are, this is what love is. What Christ has done. This is what love is. We're not going to be able to love, able to love and love rightly if we don't have a good definition, if we don't have a clear demonstration. And John says, we have this in Jesus. But just knowing it isn't going to be enough. And he's going to go on and say, not just knowing, but actually experiencing love. Like, experiencing at the heart and life level. That's why it says in verse 13, he's going to move on. He's going to go from, you need a knowledge of God's love to love, but you're also going to need to experience it. In verse 13, he begins talking about this experience of love. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Right, some of you guys know in Romans 5, it talks about how does God get the love in? He pours his love in by the Holy Spirit. This is a, an actual supernatural relationship with God. This isn't some philosophical belief. I believe in a monotheistic God, that he's the, move, he's the, the first mover, he's the first cause. It's not some sort of philosophical belief in some monotheistic God who created the universe. This is an experiential relationship with this God by the Holy Spirit where God lives in us. Uh, he dwells with us. He abides in us. Um, we actually feel something. I know some of you out there aren't feelers. Emotions are tough for you. But God wants you to have an emotional interaction with the living God by the Holy Spirit. Not just point you toward truth. Make you love truth. To love righteousness. To love mercy. Like that's what the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to work as you experience God's love. Verse 14, this is the Apostle John. He's reiterating one of the major claims about God based on his own eyewitness experience of Jesus. He says, we have seen and we testify the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. That is a very short summary of the good news of Christianity. God sent his Son. If you trust in his Son, you believe what the Son has done, God lives in you. And then it says, and we know and rely on the love God has for us. Some of your translations will say, we know and we believe the love God has for us. We're banking on this love. We're knowing and sharing in this love. And then he comes back to this phrase again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God of them. God is love. Now this is a huge statement. And so we should talk about this statement. It's said twice. It was said in verse 8. It's repeated in verse 16. Those of you who do personal Bible study, if something is repeated twice in a very short amount of time, it's significant. God is love. God is love. I appreciate a pastor scholar named David Jackman. He writes this about God's love. He says, John is not identifying a quality which God possesses. He is making a statement about the essence of God's being. God is love. If you open up to your Old Testament, one of the most repeated expressions is God is slow to anger 
and abounding in love. Psalm 116, God is gracious and merciful. Now, I think there are two common uh, errors or mistakes or maybe we call them overemphases on the left and the right when you start talking about God is love. One is on the left, or we can call it the liberal mistake of the expression God is love. The liberal mistake, we say God is love, but we think that we can maybe reverse the words and say love is God. So and what happens when we do that is we're effectively saying anything that I feel is loving is of God, and anything I don't feel is loving is not of God. Which means I'm in the driver's seat to define love, and I'm in the driver's seat to define God. Instead of letting God define what love is. Instead of letting God define love, I define love. I get to decide how it's demonstrated to. What happens is love of God is vague. And love of God, I think, is way too simplistic. Uh, One of the problems of this approach misses the many other statements of God's essence in the Bible. So there's more, there's, God is, is does, occurs more than in 1 John 4, 4. So God is a consuming fire, is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4. In Isaiah chapter 6, you have angelic beings saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In fact, you only have to turn back, in my Bible, one page, <laughs> to 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, where it said, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So in the same letter, John is saying, God is love, but God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So God's love will not fit human definitions of love. No, God sets his own definition. And so we want to be aware of maybe the the liberal mistake of thinking love is God. But I also think there's a conservative mistake. We'll go on the right, right? And, And I think the conservative mistake, it dampens the Bible's emphasis on God's love. And so, yes, they, they rightly speak that God has holy wrath, but you might miss that in Isaiah chapter 28 that that's described as God's strange work. God's strange work. What that means is God is holy. He will execute judgment. And yet the Bible takes great pains to emphasize over and over and over his mercy, his compassion, his love. In some ways, at least in the human mind, this is human mind, the Bible paints an imbalanced God. Trust me, he's not imbalanced. But in our mind, he leans toward love. He, he leans toward mercy. This is why we call him Father and not Holy Fire. He is Father. It's important to remember that the eternal God has been in a dynamic, a dynamic interrelationship of love within the Trinity forever. One of the more insightful things that I've ever heard in the last 10 years is one of the major comparisons between Islam and Christianity is this. In Islam, there is one God, no trinity. So at the heart and the root of the Islamic God, there is power, and it is one. But in a Christian Trinitarian God, at the heart of who God is, before he created anything in the world, was an interpersonal relationship of love. That's why God is love. He's always loved. There's never been a moment where there hasn't been this interrelational dynamic of love. But any just monotheistic religion misses the essence of love. So before there was 
any need for judgment, God is love. And well, after the final judgment, God is love. And, it, and as we experience God's love in our lives, the more we'll know God. We want to know this God. And the simple, the simple part in this sec, second section of experiencing God's love is confessing Jesus as Lord, believing he's the son, believing he's come and died for you. Trusting him, walking with him day by day, you will come to know and experience God's love. How are we going to love? We're going to need to know it. We're going to have a right definition of it. We're going to need to experience it. And then here this third section, though, is also have a confidence that God really loves you. That God really loves you. Look how John closes this section. He says, verse 17, this is, how we lo- this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear is to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It is really hard to function in life if you're afraid of God all the time. It is really hard to walk with God if you're petrified that if you're one step outside the line, the lightning's coming from heaven. But this says, through what Christ has done, you don't need to fear. Christian, you have no fear of estrangement. You have no fear of hell. Christian, you have no fear of the carpet being pulled out on you. Christian, you won't get to heaven and Jesus say, just kidding. No fear in his love. He wants us to have confidence. I like the game of basketball. Some of you don't. But you can't love the game of basketball if you're constantly scared you're going to dribble the ball off your leg. I mean, if every time you touch, I mean, maybe you've played with basketball people like this. Like, every time they touch the ball, it's like hot potato. Like, how do I get this thing out of my hands as fast as possible? Because I'm scared to death of making a mistake. But here's the thing with God. He doesn't kick you off the team if you dribble it off your leg. He just, you know, it's, he comes and puts his arm around. I love you. Some of you, I've told you this story before, but... The first or second time I led the Lord's Supper at, the ch- at a church in Boone, I was over here, and they had like the old school, like you know, the, the big pans that were tin, and I was leading the Lord's Supper, and like my hands were like crazy shaking, like there was juice splashing all over. It was an ugly, ugly thing. And after the service, this deacon named Steve, he came in, he put his arm around me, and he just said, man, I want you to know you can fail here. We want you to grow as a pastor, you can fail here. I rested in the love of that leader, and it allowed me to thrive. This is what's going on. When Jesus takes your place, when he dies for your sin, when your sins are nailed to that cross with Jesus, and he rises triumphant over the dead, you will not die. In effect, Jesus puts his arms around you. You can fail here. That promoting sin, he's wanting you to rest in grace perfect love it casts out fear so that you can walk in newness of life 
Look at how he just closes this section where he says, we love because he first loved us. Verse 20 says, if you claim, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. It's a diagnostic question, right? Are you, if you know God, if you've experienced God's love, if you're resting in God's love, it, it's going to give you the power to not let there be persistent conflict and hatred toward a brother or sister. God's love will melt that hard heart of yours. He says, for whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. We'll read that part again. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Again, well-known Jewish truth, Old Testament truth, right? God is not something you see, one of the warnings in the Old Testament. If you see him, you will die. But the one, one way that God can be known is through how his image bearers treat one another. Every human being is made in God's image. We know this image is not principally about our physical body because God doesn't have a body. Thus, God can be known through how our soul interacts with our body to love other embodied souls. And it matters. The Protestant reformer John Calvin wrote this about the importance of love. He says, It is a false boast when anyone says that he loves God but neglects his image which is before his eyes. When you see a person they are made in God's image. You have a chance to love God by how you treat them. Some of you guys remember Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 25 about caring for the, the least, the hungry, the naked. And he says, when you've cared for such as these, you have loved me, you have served me, you have clothed me. Speaking of which, we're trying to get some shoes donated to give kids who don't have shoes. That's one way to love Jesus as well as to demonstrate God's love for Jesus. That, that closing verse, verse 21, he has given us this command. So we're all, John's always coming back to the practical. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. If we know God's love, if we've experienced God's love, if we have a confidence of God's love, we'll love. It's what God does. He's working. He loves it when we love. I think he loves it when we try to love. Because it's part of the family crust. It's the highest virtue. It's been demonstrated by the Son of God, so let us love. Can, I, can, I, can we consider this scenario for a second? How would you know if you had a legitimate electrician who lived next door to you? How would you know? I mean, sure, the, the van on the side says Tom's Electric, but that could be fake. Right? You're debating, should I hire Tom for my next electrical project? Because he's right there. But you maybe know that maybe Nelson Electric or Gleason Electric in town, they're certified. What about Tom? How would you know? I think a little vetting is in order. So I'm going to look for three things. First, I think we should vet Tom's knowledge of electricity. Right? Does he, does he know what a hot wire is in a neutral, in a ground? That would help. Right? Does he know the difference between 12-gauge and 14-gauge wiring, wiring? But here's the thing. You could pick up such knowledge from YouTube. You could read a, like a really short wiki page and know that stuff. So knowledge, maybe not enough. So second, I want to wonder if John has any actual experience with electricity. I want to hear stories about him removing electrical panels, troubleshooting electrical shorts, 
Better yet, I'd like to catch him working on electricity at his own house. I want to make sure the lights work at Tom's house. If you stop by Tom's house and all of his lights are flickering, <laughs> Tom's electric should be questioned. But then I'm going to look for a third thing. I want that air of confidence. Right? Not recklessness, but this calm, cool, and collected posture when he's playing with 220 outlets. I want him to see have this like settled peace when he's flipping the breaker back on after an electrical renovation, which, by the way, just always scares me to death, personally. So I've done all the work. Is it going to work? You know, and you flip it, and it shorts. You're like, no! But you want Tom just to be like, I know I did this right. Flip it on, walks away, knows it's good. Right? Knowledge, experience, confidence. It's a giveaway. He's the real deal. One of the things I love about Sunday morning is you guys don't stay here. (laughs) What I mean by that is I love sending you out in the week to your neighbors, into your workplaces. Because having got to know you, you have a knowledge of God's love. I've seen you, I know you've experienced God's love, and I know you have a confidence in God's love, and you need to tell your neighbors about God's love. And he's equipped you. You have the family crest on your chest. In a world of confusion, in a world of just constant, like, what is love? You know God's love. That's what John is saying to these believers, right? You know this. Not just at the head, but at the heart. And you can have confidence that it's yours through Christ Jesus. So go, my brothers and sisters. Go and love. And if, you, if you're struggling with love, final thoughts on just kind of conclusion. For instance, maybe you're a 14-year-old girl and you want a boy to love you. To the 14-year-old girls in the room who wants a boy to love you, can I just encourage you this week that you can know God's love just by meditating on Romans chapter 8 this week, where it says, nothing will separate you from the love of God that is Christ Jesus. And that is a love that no boy can offer. And so come, just remind yourself of what God's love is. Read Psalm 103. He's washed, he's taken our sins and separated them as far as the east is from the west. 14-year-old girl, you can know God's love. But I guess, there, I'm guessing there's also maybe a 35-year-old in the, in the room, and you haven't experienced God's love for a long time. Maybe you did some Bible memorization program as a kid, did the you know, did youth group, did some college ministry, but real life has kicked you in the gut. And you're like, I have not experienced God in a long time. One of my go-to verses for me for experiencing God is um, John 14, 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And then Jesus says, but who, and then he who loves me, I will love him and I will show myself to him. This is a hard thing, but I think one of the best ways for Jesus to reveal and for you to experience Jesus' love is just try to obey. Try to obey to love. Here's the God loves to draw near to those trying to love and obey. I think you'll experience him this week. And I'll just talk to someone who's 65 years old, and you are not confident anymore. You're not confident in God's love. You kind of look back, you're like, I did everything I was supposed to do. I'm still married. I'm still trying to do right by God, but I have just, my confidence is just going, going away. Well, one, it says, even if we're faithless, God remains faithful. God is faithful to his promises. 
You're saved not by your performance, but by Jesus' performance. You don't need to fear, not because you're an amazing person, but because Jesus was fearless and he died for you. You can be confident that God will carry to completion what he has started. So trust him. And basically, what I'm saying is always go back to the expert on love. That's the, to, to know God's love and experience God's love and have confidence in God's love. Just go back to God. I was thinking about you this week, Kent. I'm sorry. So Kent is in our small group, and he's a physical therapist. And what I love about Kent is even if we don't ask him, if we're complaining about something, he kind of swoops in and like, hey, can I talk? You know? And what I love about Kent is he knows his stuff. Like, he'll be like, well, some guy told me to do this. And he'll rip out like 12 different muscles that that's stretching, just like off his tongue. You're like, yeah, I do that. He's also experienced, he's experienced, and he has a measure of confidence. And so now I know, and now you know, <laughs> when you're sure of something, you go to the expert. I mean, at a far deeper level, God is the expert on love. God is love. And so go to him. And in go, going to him, he will restore your heart and send you out to love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm thanks for uh, a family here, our brothers and sisters, and uh, this is a school of love. Uh, it's a residency program where we're trying to learn to love, just like doctors are practicing medicine and they never quite get it right. We're just trying to practice love. We'll never get it quite right, but I think as we keep practicing God, you will be faithful. You'll send your pour your Holy Spirit down so that we can experience love and know love and live out love. So help us just to grow in love. Wherever my brother or sister is today on, on knowing God's love, I pray that they would find it again in the glorious face of Jesus Christ. This is love, not that we love God, but God loved us and he sent his one and only son to be a, a propitiation, a sacrifice for our sins. This is love. We thank you for the love that we can know through Jesus Christ. God's people said, amen.